Hello and welcome to Teachers in the Dungeon. I'm Tom with Dan and we are the Teachers in the Dungeon. We're so happy you've joined us today and thank you for your support. Be sure to let us know what you think about today's show. Our contact information and social media are in the show notes. Okay, let's delve into the dungeon. Welcome to Teachers in the Dungeon. I am Dan, sitting in. We're both here, but we're Hello. changing it up. I uh, did the leading leading in today, so uh, that is because we are going to be looking, get, giving you a first look at a book that I got on Kickstarter. So since I was the one that pulled the trigger and spent the money, I'm the one that has to come up with all the introductory stuff. Here. So <laughs> I'm completely unprepared for that. But we are sitting once again in our. And our, our secondary location, our other lair, yeah. surrounded by dragons and Ahsoka and Ray and <laughs> a wide variety of inspirational figures. So, yeah. Tom, what's it like to create in this space? Oh, wow. I wasn't ready for that question. Thank you. <laughs> no, I love this space. This is uh, so my the, our Studio B is my office in my home and I surround myself with all of the things that I love. I have Star Wars in here. I have Dungeons and Dragons in here. I have games in here. Baseball. Baseball. I have bobble, a, a shelf of bobbleheads and uh, other, you know, all my Star Wars books, all of my uh, Dritt Stewart books on one shelf. Then when I turn around, I've got all of my D&D books and uh, some other like notable history books that just resonate with me. My wife comes in here and she says, I don't know how you can do anything in this room. And I said, I don't know how anybody couldn't do anything and be inspired in this room. This is where I come when I need some inspiration, when I need some ideas. Um, my only guilt of being in this, in this room is that it is in the far corner of the basement right. and it's far away from the rest of the family. Right. Right. But no, thanks for asking about it. I'll, I'll put a couple of pictures from in here uh, on social media, you know, and I used to do on, Coffee with Kenobi, I used to do a segment or a, a social media thing where it was uh, uh, CWK office pick was the hashtag. And so we used to post cool things from our offices. <laughs> so you can always go to hashtag CWK office pick. It's another podcast, but you can see some pictures there. But I'll put some up, some pictures of this on uh, social media so you guys can see my creative space. Nice. Oh, Spider-Man's in here too. How, yeah. did I, how did I forget? He's right over your shoulder. Yeah, so he's behind me, so I didn't, wasn't able to mention him. Yep. Okay, so so our question of the week is a, a little more general. What are your impressions or reactions or feelings or thoughts about the amazing range of live playthrough videos available? Obviously, Critical Role kind of got the ball rolling, yep. but there's a lot more than that out there now. So <laughs> I guess my initial is, and I have a feeling you and I are going to be pretty close on this one. My initial is I, I love it. I love to see so many people playing D&D and feeling so, I don't know, I, I, this, I don't want this to come off negative, but like feeling so confident about like playing in front of a camera. I love that. My problem with that is I struggle to find three or four hours for us to play Right. Let right. alone for me to sit down and watch that. I, I love the idea and the, the shows that I've watched, I've enjoyed. 
Some of them are a little bit more highly produced than mm-hmm. probably is for my taste. That's not to say it's wrong or, is, or there's something wrong with that. It's just it's a little bit more higher. I, I'm more of a grassroots. I like watching people play at a table and rolling actual dice and they're face to face. I know that happens in some of those higher produced ones, but it just it doesn't give me that feel. Yeah. But that's that's me. I like the people who will do those live plays, but then also release it on a podcast format right. because I will put in earbuds and as I'm walking or working out or mowing the yard or whatever, I will listen to those live plays, probably not as much as I would like. So I guess my, my the long answer to that is I love the idea. I just don't consume a lot of it. Right. I've watched some Critical Role. I'm excited to watch, and I do plan to watch some of the the Netflix produ- the Netflix produced D and D game with the Stranger Things cast. Oh right, um, okay. that recently came out. I, I kind of would like to watch a little bit of that. Yeah, more cool. for the cultural impact. Mm-hmm. If I get tied into the game, then I may end up watching a little bit more of it. I love the idea because of what it's done for the game, but personally, it just takes a lot of time that I don't have. I would agree with that. And, and I get sort of, <laughs> I don't know if it's OCD or what it is, but if I, when I get into, occasionally I'll, I'll dip into one of these storylines and then I don't have the time to watch or catch up and then I get behind yeah. and I just hate that feeling of, well, I can't watch it now because I missed an episode and I won't know what's going right. on or I'll miss something important. So I'm sort of the same way. I think the other thing to, to mention and, and other, other places of, noted this and, and I'm sure studied this way more in depth is the, the Matt Mercer effect where you watch critical role and you assume, well, oh, I, I can't do it like that. Oh yes. So it, 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 it sort of suppresses the desire to play. And I don't, I don't know that that really, I mean, I understand that feeling. I don't know that that's had a huge impact on actually stopping people from playing. I don't think it's that. Yes. And it's certainly not their fault. I mean, they, no. they are very supportive and it is amazing what they've done for the game. But the ones that are a little too polished do feel a little intimidating, I think. Right. Like you, someone might think, I can't possibly DM that well. Right. It's right. so well thought out. It's so well developed. I can do two voices and he's doing 20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. So, well, that leads us into the our discussion for today, because what I have in front of me is the very first thing I've ever bought off Kickstarter or supported on Kickstarter. Old-fashioned, unfamiliar with technology, me, I avoided things like that, didn't really know how it worked, scared to even click a button for the thought that they just drained my bank account, which I know, but still. <laughs> but it, this was a particularly special one for me. As I got into D&D and started looking around online for YouTube videos to learn how to how to do it, I stumbled across a couple of Canadians called the Dungeon Dudes, Monty and Kelly, and they had some really accessible how-to videos. Mm. And I, I watched a few of those. And then after that, they started their own live play with a homebrew world that Monty had developed. And they invited two of their friends in to play Jill and Joe. And I didn't really, I started watching it, not really expecting to get hooked because I didn't, you know, I looked at three three hours to watch something week after week. And I did, I got so hooked on this real quickly. What, what was amazing to me is these were very 
skilled gamers, clearly, but they managed to make it feel accessible. It's not that they weren't polished. It's not that they fumbled or anything like that, but just watching them play, you felt like you could sit at the table and not be embarrassed mm -hmm. by your play skills. It just was very engaging. And, and I found myself, because this was just about when you got us into, into our, you know, playing right. and I would watch their, I, I found it as useful to watch their playthroughs as I was trying to pick up tips. Oh, sure. As, as their actual how to videos, mm -hmm. I would watch one of them uh, react in a certain way and think, Oh, I never thought of doing that. Uh, as a as a character playing a role or I never would have thought to do that as a DM and so it was it was just very useful and I know you had turned you came to me one day and you're like okay I've got I've got a I don't remember how you introduced other than I remember you saying just give the name a brand <laughs> the dungeon dudes I mean what a great I mean what a great name but so simple and kind yeah. of whatever and you were like just give it a listen. You even gave me a few episodes that I could potentially start with, but I was right. like, okay, kind of going back to what you said about getting behind on things. I was like, I don't want to start in the middle of a story. Yeah. And so you had given me the introduction of a few really compelling characters in their story. And I was like, I'm going to start at the very beginning. If I like it, I'll continue with it. If not, you know, I'll just, I'll be able to have the conversation with you about them. And so I started episode one. I think what makes them so compelling to want to listen to, besides just this homebrew world that they've created or that, that uh, Monty. Monty created, is is just really intriguing, and that the situation that is that he set up is so intriguing. But I think what makes their playthrough so accessible, as you said, is I really feel like I'm watching four friends playing D and D. Right. Some of the really polished ones, again, they're wonderful. They're very entertaining, but I feel like they are a group brought together to play a game together. And they're not necessarily, I don't get the friendship vibes. Right. Um, whereas these guys, I, I feel like I'm watching them play in their basement. Which you know. actually you were. <laughs> that was in Monty's basement the very yeah. first season before they went had to go remote because of COVID and stuff. So. Yeah. So anyway, so just to, so this is what we're looking at is the Kickstarter for their homebrew world, the Dungeons of Drakenheim. Yeah. And this was pretty amazing. I knew it was coming. I, I had joined their Patreon. I was in their Discord. I knew it was coming. I jumped on two or three hours after they sent, made it live. I was mm -hmm. one of the first couple hundred, actually. And they were already, they, I, think they, I think their goal was $20,000. They were already at almost ten times that amount. Wow! And it maxed out oh. over a million, I believe. So these these guys have gained a following. They yeah. are they are definitely have got some loyal fans, and it's easy to see why with this book. I think when you mm -hmm. actually look at this. So we were just going to kind of run through and give you guys a first view of this because you can. I I had to ask about this myself. You can even if you didn't back the Kickstarter, you can still purchase this okay it is it is available but we will be sure to put that in the links and, and mention that again at the end mm -hmm. okay so. so let's take a quick break before we dive into this we've got our background on the dungeon dudes let's talk about their book right after this break stay with us to hear about dungeons and drakenheim the kickstarter book we'll be right back 
right, we are back. I'm Tom Gross with Dan Ream, Teachers in the Dungeon. We're talking about the book Dungeons of Drakenheim. This is a story that has been told through the playthrough game and podcast of the Dungeon Dudes. In fact, I've, other than just watching a little bit of their show on YouTube, all the rest of it I've listened to as a podcast. So anyway, we're talking about their book, Dungeons and Drakenheim. Yes. So Dan, what's what are some things that stood out to you in this book when you received it? So just a basic overview, this is a third-party homebrew for 5e, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. It is pretty typical. It, it covers first through 13th level character adventures. You can string them together into a narrative, or you can just have them have, you know, pick and choose as, as you can with most books. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty useful that way. So the backstory of this is that Drakenheim is this metropolis that's been struck by a strange uh, otherworldly meteor that caused catastrophic damage to the city, but even worse, it caused magical invasive corruption. And so this is very, I had to, I had to look up cause I never remember this guy's name. It's very Lovecraftian. Oh yes. So I'm pretty sure that Monty <laughs> who wrote this loves HP Lovecraft, who was very, you know, one of the early horror masters mm-hmm. that has inspired a lot of other authors. And, and we discovered when we were at GaryCon, there's a, there's a huge group of Dungeons and Dragons players That's who are true. very much inspired by that. Yeah. So, so that's one of the first things here is that it is a a book that comes with content warning and probably should because there's a lot of body horror. There's a lot of potential to, to make this a very, very disturbing story in the sense of awful mutations that happen to people. Yeah. This material that's causing this corruption is known as delirium. It comes as a crystalline form and it grows and it has very strong magical properties. So that enables you to you, know, you can choose to collect it and get money for it. You can can use it perhaps yourself, but mm-hmm. it's very it's very toxic, very deadly. Yeah. One of the other things I thought was just kind of out of the gate, one of the pieces of text I think really sets the tone is very very early on they say this book contains inspiration, guidelines, and tools to help you adjudicate and respond to your players' characters' actions as they explore Drakenheim. Running an exciting and dynamic non-linear adventure requires sound judgment and good use of logic on your part. Mm-hmm. You should feel empowered to make changes so your players have a rewarding and challenging experience. Occasionally, you may even need to divide your own material or repurpose adventure books, characters, and locations to better suit with the changing conditions of your campaign. So that's what we know, but it's really mm-hmm. cool to see the authors say, hey, take this, yeah. rip it apart, reassemble it if you need to, have fun. I love that aspect. And when you were reading that, I can totally hear Monty's voice. <laughs> yes. Yes. In that. So, uh, so no, that's, that's cool that they, you know, they want to share their story, but tell you make your own story as well. I mean, really wizards of the coast has done that. The dungeon and dragons team has done that as well. They say, they say very similar words in any of their adventures, whether it's the rise of Tiamat or, you know, the, the tomb of annihilation, they say, cut, paste, do the story if you like, or cut and paste and use what works for your adventure, which I guess we as players would probably do that anyway, but it's nice that they say, take the freedom. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I've got some stuff to say about it specifically since I kind of, 
I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm embedded in their community on discord and everything, but I've, I follow them very closely. So there's some, some Easter eggs and things that for me are really special, but, okay. but for you as more of a casual viewer, what sort of things did you notice about the book? Yeah. When I came and picked this up, I just, so I'm kind of a, I mean, being a librarian, I'm kind of a book collector and I hate to say this because all of the spines of my D&D books are cracked and they are used, but I, I almost feel like I collect the books as much as I like to play from them. Right. And so when I look at this as this book from a, a collector's point of view, it's a beautiful book. You know, it's got a very dark cover. And one thing I love about the front cover that, that struck me right away is, is there's very little text it's mm -hmm. just the title. You got a couple logos at the bottom. Otherwise, they dedicate the entire cover to this to this art. Mm -hmm. And I did not take the time I should have to to look and see who the um, cover art is by. I, you've kind of turned me on to this. I didn't look that up, but I know there are thirty eight different artists that worked on this because <laughs> I count them. I don't see. Oh, cover art. I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher the name. I'm sorry. It's Tony Muntino. Muntino. Sorry about that, Tony, but uh, but but your work is phenomenal. I love this cover. That is my my first impression is that. And then of course, what what's the next thing we do? We kind of just flip through the pages, mm -hmm. and something that jumped out right away at me. Having listened to much of the story, I've not finished the story uh, on their podcast, but the city map is both in the inside cover and the back cover. And I also noted that when you handed it all to me, there is a large cloth map yes. of yes. of the city. But I think it's su super cool that they put the, the city in – wait, is one different than the other? This one has a very – Oh, you've oh, got the – one is – One is non-deliriumed and one is delirium. Yeah, so. cool. I just noticed that when I was flipping back and forth. So, yeah, the in the back cover map shows like the haze, which is something if you get this book, you'll notice – that uh, or you listen to the show, you the haze is quite important to the storytelling. Yes. Yeah. So the back map has an image of of the impact of the haze, and the front map gives more city city map feel. Um, shows the crater of the meteor, but uh, otherwise um, it doesn't show the haze. And then just flipping through this, I was noting the organization, um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that going forward. But it's a very well organized book, and again, it's helpful in a first glance to know some of the story, but I don't think you have to know the story to enjoy right. this book. And in fact, there might be some things in here that you would glean from this, not knowing the story um, and be yeah. able to, to use, but I'll talk a little bit about more, more about the organization as we continue this conversation. But those are the things that note that noted the cover is beautiful. The maps on the inside covers are really cool. And the book is really well organized. So I, as someone who's followed the story, I'm an episode or two behind, but I'm almost caught up. Mm -hmm. It is really fun to look through and see a peek behind the, the, the curtain at this. And it's it's really nostalgic in a weird sort of way. Hmm. I, I find myself, it's goofy, but you know, looking at a page and like, oh, that's where Pluto did this. Or, <laughs> or this is where Veo talked to this person or... Oh, there's that harpy. And, yeah. and it really, it really just locks into the feels from this. Do any of the pictures of the villains or monsters, do they match what you think pictured or did they, were they way off? Well, this is what's interesting is they, there's not 
they're pretty careful with with those images. Mm-hmm. And they're not a lot of them of, of specific characters. I guess there's a few. Honestly, I don't know that I envision. I, I don't know if I ever come up with a physical hmm. picture okay. until until these. The, the only one that didn't, and, and this is no criticism, I'm just kind of going off of my just personal enjoyment of the book, is the all of them sort of, I looked at it and I was like, that's kind of how I saw that person. The only one that didn't was the Queen of Thieves. I did oh, not yeah. I did not picture her quite as they they portrayed her in the book. But hey, I, it works for me. I, th- I think it's cool. I was just curious if you had the similar type of uh, You know, it's funny. Reaction. I, I was going to say, I... I that's not something I really considered. As you say that, now the images are starting to pop up of mm. the the more minor characters, yeah. but the NPCs, they do fit. They're very, yeah. You know, you look at them and say, oh yeah, obviously that's so and so. And there's there's only a few there's only a few pictures of the players themselves of Sebastian. I and had the Veo look. You have to look for those. Mm-hmm. Yes, I didn't well, realize Veo was a black cat. Yes, I I don't think I realized that either. Except that I, again, background knowledge: Jill Denitis, who plays Veo, loves cosplay and created a full oh, that's right. cosplay of Veo, and I forgot she about made that. her a black cat, mm-hmm. which was which was amazing. That's cool. So other things, just again, little as a side note, what kind of got me into doing some of the music, like we've done for our show and everything, mm-hmm. is I I was so into the story that I decided to write a song for him. And I created the Ballad of Drakenheim part one. And all I did was was went back through the shows and kept notes of everything that happened Mm. and then just told the story and created this song. And it was very cool because I put it on the Discord and the the players actually picked it up and really liked it Mm -hmm. and commented on it. And in fact, they said a couple times, I see this as Kelly is the one that said, yes, I think this would be performed on stage, the Gilded Lily. And so it was kind of cool for me. I don't know that this is anything other than just this was going to be there anyway. But on in the book, on page 59, a description of the Gilded Lily. Cool. It really is there. Nice. It is a two-story building surrounded by veranda. It, uh, it is a... It's got a well-stocked bar. It's owned by a human noble. But the most important part is they have open mic night. (laughs) (laughs) So players can actually go into the Gilded Lily and perform and roll and see if they get money from the patrons. So that is cool. I don't know that that was, I'm sure they had these ideas anyway. But the, the slight chance that this was inspired because they liked my song and thought, oh, that's a cool thing to throw mm-hmm. in. That that kind of that was kind of cool to see. That is super cool. I'll I'll take that and lead into my second thing that I, yes. I noted about the book. And that is the detail in this book. I read I didn't read a whole ton of it, but I read several pages to kind of get a feel for the writing in here. And it is super descriptive in what things look like, in what characters, NPCs talk like. They they go into really deep detail. And that doesn't surprise me knowing Monty and listening to the show. He is one of the things that is compelling about the show. And and I don't know, 
I don't know that I don't know that this is a, a good thing or a bad thing, but we've really kind of tied the show in with the book and all of that. But listening to the show, what's partly compelling is his descriptions of everything that's happening and going on and the actions that the characters do. And that shows up in this book. Yes. Yes. His writing uh, in this. And I didn't I didn't write down a page that has any particular description, but you can turn to any page. And when you read just like what you did with the, with the inn, it gives you a really good picture in your head of what does this inn look like? Yes. How does it serve its patrons? How, you know, it's got a well-stocked bar. So what does that mean as a DM? That gives me a lot to work with. You yeah. know, if, if it was just, this is a side tavern, they got a couple barrels of ale, that tells me something. But mm-hmm. saying it's a well-stocked bar, that, that sort of detail in writing gives the DM a lot to work with and makes the story, if you were to tell the Dungeons & Dragons story at your table, gives you a lot to work with to keep your players involved. Yes, yes. So kind of building off that, it's fun to see the NPCs that Monty brought to life show up here. Mm-hmm. And it is, from the backstory, knowing that a lot of times it were, there were characters that he threw out there that the other three pricked up and ran with yeah. and turned it into something even more than he probably intended. So you've got characters named Blackjack Mel and, of course, the Rat Prince. And Yes, yes, yes. yes. My favorite. <laughs> and, and they are in here, and he's even got quotes from some of them to give you a flavor for how they are, how they would act. He gives, he, he in fact creates ideals and flaws and does all that. Mm-hmm. And so it is, it's a treat for someone who's watched the, the show to see them. Oh, good. I get to, you know, it's, I mean, I, you could bring it in anyway, but it's there for you, like, sort of like a gift. Here, we made this, but now it's take it, do what you're going to do with it. Right. That's just one more element, I think, of what makes this a really successful, uh, mm-hmm. successful publication. I like the another thing that I was going to mention was the the player quotes. Yes, um, throughout the entire book, it sort of reminds me. It's 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 almost to me a tip of the hat to some of the wizards books. I think so. Like the Xanathar, you know, Zan, in the Xanathar book, it'll have like quotes from Xanathar that yes. are real snarky about whatever the subject is. Yes. In this, like here's one from Pluto Jackson, and I can hear. Joe O'Gorman saying this, but it's not as impressive as the canyons of Caspio, but many more monsters ripe for the sport. I can, oh, I can just hear him say that. Yes. And they've got all these quotes throughout. And I don't, I couldn't find one that I could, I could put my finger on and say, I heard them say that. So I don't know if these are directly from the show or if they're just there ones. Is that, one. There is one. Is there one okay. at the very beginning about, about Pluto kicking the head of the dead horse? Oh. That one, I think, because <laughs> it was Sebastian's quote or yes. Kelly's, and I yes. think that one was actually said. Right. So so I, I really like that touch. Um, you know, this it, to, to me, what it shows is there are layers of development to this book. Yes. And that is just another layer. Let's get some quotes from the characters that played through this, you know, that we used as a model to build this world. And, you know, it's something you said reminded me of of last week's episode or our last episode where mm-hmm. when we were talking to Marcus you had said about the fighting fae and the lore how sometimes you would sit and listen to the things we said yes I've done that that's you know a lot of what happens in our water deep adventure uh, with that said I think that is partly in my mind what helps develop this this story 
So I, I could go on and on about all of this as a fan of the show. Mm-hmm. It, it really is a gift to the fans itself, but also I think just an amazing, an amazing resource for anybody who just wants to run a, a horror tinged game. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it's just done right. There's lots of possibilities. And I think you've kind of turned me on to, you know, really look at the art. Don't just flip by it or, you know, because I think the art itself is really good at inspiring the kind of game that they're running. A lot of these images are very disturbing where you've got, you know, individuals who have been, have had their bodies devastated by this, this magic corruption. And, you know, they, they don't really draw back from that. And that's in the show. That's, that's a big part of, I think, what draws you in emotionally is the pathos. The heroes will come in and achieve their quest, but they don't save the people. Mm-hmm. You know, every once in a while. Right. For the most part, the people are too far gone and they're just, it's awful to say it this way, kind of putting them out of their misery. Yeah. So it does make it a little dark. So I guess that is one warning. If you're not someone who can handle that sort of story, you know, maybe this isn't the one for you. Right. right. But there's a, so much depth here. It really is impressive. Yeah. And in addition to the art, Dustin Scott taught us a few months ago when we talked to him about yes. his map making and all of that. And then you and I tried our hands at the random map maker in the Dungeon Master's Guide. <laughs> That's another thing I look at when I look at these. I talked about the city map already, but there are plenty of like interior and even dungeon uh, maps in this book that are just cool to look at. I always wonder when I look at these, I'm like, how do, how do people keep coming up with like really cool maps? And when I make mine, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> so uninspiring. But these are these are really cool. The last thing I wanted to talk about with this book is the organization of each segment. They've built every single segment of this, of, of the parts of the story of the Dungeons of Drakenheim in exactly the same way. They give you an overview they, Interactions, area details, and developments. Yeah, and so really it builds, it helps you as the dungeon master, helps you to kind of set up the scene mm-hmm. and set up even the motivation of why would the characters be here? Right, um, right, right. And then it gives the motivations uh, somewhere in, in each one of those. It gives the motivations of like who they're going to interact with. Sometimes that's the hard part I have is what would this NPC say? And like what drives that NPC? And so when you guys are asking NPCs questions, I'm always like, uh, kind of just take, you know, I'm just improvising. And I never feel like my answers have like this line of like discussion. Sure, sure. Whereas in this book, he does a nice job of setting that up and telling you, you know, I, I mentioned the Queen of Thieves earlier. If you're talking to the Queen of Thieves, what would her, re- even though he doesn't have written what the Queen of Thieves would say, but you have a background to be able to answer where she would come from in what she's talking about. And again, that goes back into the detail that they wrote this book with, the layers that they put together. Mm-hmm. But that organization also makes it give you gives you the opportunity to be able to pull pieces out of this to maybe insert into your own game or give you a chance to take, you know, an NPC from this or a monster from this and put into your own game. I think that would be kind of cool if yeah. you, you know, if you don't want to dive into Drakenheim 
you know, head long, you might pull something out and put in there. And he's given you the tools to be able to do that, or they've given you the tools to be able to do that. So that's really cool. Yeah. Good look from your librarian's eye. <laughs> how the book is designed. And yeah, I really good. like that. Yes. So yeah, overall, and, and as we said, I had to learn this myself, although I thought this was probably true, is things that are on Kickstarter, you can get even if you didn't pledge to the Kickstarter. You can mm. still purchase it. So ghostfiregaming.com. It's 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 actually listed on their homepage right now, but if you just did a search for Dungeons of Drakenheim, it is pretty it is it is right there and you can still purchase it. I don't I don't quite know how things how thing how long things last mm. on Kickstarter, but this you you can still continue to, to to purchase this and I think it's definitely worth worth taking a look for. You can actually get all the swag and stuff too. That I, I just went for the very basic and I was I was pretty happy with that myself too. So yeah. Other things just so people are aware of that, that are coming up. Apparently, they are launching another Kickstarter in August. Oh. I don't know what that's about, but hmm. I'm sure it'll be pretty exciting. Interesting. And the, the Drakenheim campaign is still going. If they haven't jumped back into it, they will soon. Sometime in the month of June here, 2022, they're getting back into it again. So, Because I'm listening to the original story. I'm about halfway, maybe a little further past halfway in the original story. Then they transition to some new characters. They do. They do. The Shadows of Drakenheim. Shadows of Drakenheim. Okay. And then they come back and they bring them together. And there are actually episodes where where Kelly and Joe and Jill have to play both their characters talking to each other. <laughs> that is so cool. So it is, it is pretty impressive what they're able to pull off. Yeah. You know, I did not uh, jump into this. I, I I was on the fence. I was like, oh, I really like to get this. Uh, but I knew you were getting it, so I didn't. And now I'm sitting here kind of disappointed I didn't because <laughs> that cloth map that comes with this, and I don't know if we mentioned, it's a hardcover book. Yes. Fully full color illustrations. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece. If this sounds like anything, like something you're interested in, you're interested in horror stories uh, or telling a horror story at your gaming table, this is definitely something that you, you'd be interested in. All right. So I think that's about all we've got here. So we will close this out. But yeah, I'm excited about this. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what other people and hearing what other people do with this as well. Yeah. So if you have given this book a chance when, when it came out on Kickstarter and you have some feedback, let us know. Get on our social media. Instagram and Facebook is under Teachers in the Dungeon. Twitter is at Dungeon Teachers or send us an email, teachersinthedungeon at gmail.com. And, you know, when you send us that feedback, we'll get you out. We'll, we'll, we'll say something out on the show. Um, we haven't here in the last couple of weeks, but we, we've got some things building up from uh, some of our listeners that we will share in the upcoming weeks. So if you've got something to say about this or you look at it and you have questions about it, we could probably share that information as well. And geez, if we could just, wouldn't it be cool to sit down with one of these four cast members or three cast members oh, in DM for uh, Dungeon Dudes? That would be really cool. So maybe we're going to try to make that happen sometime this summer. That'd be really cool. We'll put it on our goals list. Yes. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Teachers in the Dungeon. We appreciate your support. And until next time, keep rolling those 20s. And watch out for delirium. That wraps up today's session. So thank you for listening to Teachers in the Dungeon. We appreciate you and your feedback. Until the next time we see you in the dungeon, we hope you roll high on those saving throws. 
If you enjoyed the show and want to hear what happens in the adventure, subscribe to the podcast. Have questions, thoughts, or ideas? Check the show notes for our website and our contact information. This podcast is not affiliated or endorsed by Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro, or any other third-party Dungeons & Dragons entity. Teachers in the Dungeon is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds and any other related items are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders in the U.S. or abroad. The official Dungeons & Dragons website can be found at www.dnd.wizards.com.